0: And presents Monthly Monday Movie muck about because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I've got this huge collection of movies, and I am often really surprised when I find somebody who's not seen a movie that I consider to be a classic. Every now and again, I get really lucky because People just wander into the Longbox Crusade headquarters. Sometimes they're like get, just getting done doing jujitsu with somebody else who works here, but you know, sometimes it's just random things. This time it was somebody who got finished punching somebody else. I'm not gonna say who punched who or why. I'm just gonna say that it probably happened, at least in my mind. But I would like to introduce Patrick, who is good friends with one of the LPC crew members. Patrick, how are you doing, sir? Great, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. I just threw in the jujitsu bit, but yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah,
1: um, Del- yeah. We we often scrap. It's uh, what drew me to be friends with him.
0: <laughs> I've only had the pleasure of talking to Delvin over Zoom and Skype and a few other things like this. So I've never met him in person, but my opinion is I don't want to scrap with him.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, he out heights me by about a foot, but he only outweighs me by about 10 pounds. But I will say that that extra foot really, uh, it's rough. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And he's such a nice guy, too. So he'd probably, you know, just lay me
1: out with a smile on his face. He does. Yeah. He's like, uh, he's he's smashing you. And he's like, are you OK? Are, is everything okay? <laughs> okay, because you're not really moving a lot. And it's like, well, it's because you're gigantic and I can't. <laughs> it's always it's always good to be friends with people
0: bigger than you and yeah. you know who can do more damage than you. It's, yeah, it's always yeah, been yeah. My, my view in life. You also do your own podcast too, almost famous with a PHP for F, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct, yes. Yeah, it's a developer podcast. I've been a developer for a long time. I've um, worked on computers and programmed pretty much my whole life. And myself and my co-host, Matt Lance, we get together now and again. It's not regular, but we get together now and again and just talk about whatever's happening inside of our lives. And we were taking a hiatus because he's recently had a, a brand new baby. So
0: yeah, that, that, that family life can kind of get in there and ruin your fun all the time.
2: <laughs>
0: it changes your fun for sure. Changes your fun. And yet, yet, you know, we sit here and do these podcasts that are somehow tied to things we enjoy or work or anything like that. So just because we aren't doing enough stuff with our family and work, we decide we're going to do more things
1: as well. Correct, yes. I just got done putting all of my kids down for bedtime and make, mixing myself a nice beverage. And, uh, and now I get to sit and, and talk with you.
0: Yeah, I saw the beverage and I was feeling very, very... Envious because I normally have a beverage, especially with my other show. My other show, we not only talk about a comic book from the 80s, but we also drink beer with each book, and I match the beer to the comic. That's nice. I have never installed that with this because my beer budget anyways is out the roof because of that. I don't need to be doing that
1: with this show as well. (laughs)
0: Yes, uh,
1: I I used to partake when I record with Matt, and my whiskey budget was a little too high. (laughs) So Yeah, well imagine doing that every other week
0: and yeah, you can I know. kinda and trying to find a a beer that matches a comic, yeah, it's it's a thing. It's a thing. I, I walk into the beer store I'm saying, Yeah, can you find me a beer that has an alligator on it? hmm The looks I get are I, I'm well known now and I'm on many lists. But that <laughs> That is way off topic. We need to get back on topic and talk about the reason why you are here. You sent me a list of movies. You wanted me to give you a movie that you have not seen yet. And I am going to do that now. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. This is, I'm, I'm ready. Okay. I'd like you to go all the way back to 1976 and see a little film that Martin Scorsese directed called Taxi Driver. And yes. this is starring Robert De Niro and Jodie Foster, also with Albert Brooks and Harvey Keitel and a whole lot of other people. What do you know about
1: Taxi Driver? I mean, what everybody knows, I guess, that that, that just has seen the cultural references. I didn't know Harvey Keitel was in this too. That's exciting. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, hey, are you talking to me scene? Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's, I mean, that and, you know, Robert De Niro with a Mohawk, which is just, I mean, him being young with a Mohawk, like I, he's meet the Fockers guy, you know, he's, you know, not uh, necessarily somebody I see as like a tough guy, I guess. I mean, I guess you kind of see him as a tough guy, but like a tough grandpa, not really like.
0: That's, that's interesting because I always think of him as from Godfather too. That's where I always see him. And he is a, Tough guy in Godfather too.
1: See, I I wish I could have picked the Godfather because I, I I've only seen it once. I've only seen like the trilogy one time through, mm-hmm. and I just didn't appeal to me, so I never watched it again. And so I always forget that he's in it. Yeah, you know, it's like it's Marlon Brando and I think Al Pacino
0: and a bunch of other guys. Yeah, and a
1: bunch of other dudes. <laughs>
0: So why haven't you seen this? It sounds like there's a few
1: things that really appeal to you, but why haven't you seen this before? I think it's just like a matter of it's an older movie. So you're, you're not really going to tend to see it. Like it's probably not. I don't know if it's on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Hulu. It's not like a streaming movie. That's like super Mm -hmm. popular. that Everybody wants to watch growing up that wasn't really the type of movie that I would be like allowed to watch. Fair enough. I mean, I, I guess I was allowed to watch a lot of weird stuff, but it was like always horror movies like Friday the 13th and stuff like, like I was allowed to watch Freddie eviscerate somebody in a shower <laughs> stall, but uh, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch taxi driver, I guess.
0: So we'll, we'll let you see the gory movies, but once we get into the political suspense yeah. thrillers, no, that, that, that's too, that's realistic. too far. It's yeah. too
1: far. Yeah. <laughs> that's, but you know, so so with a combination of like not really having seen it when I was younger, and, and not really having a streaming service, and uh, or that, that that provides that. I guess it just always kind of slipped through the cracks. Like I just never made time for it. And as we all know, if you don't make time, you won't have time, so. Well,
0: the good news is whether you've got the time or not, you've actually got an assignment. You've got a test to do. And this test probably won't punch you back, but I'm not quite sure. Still, I I am going to assign this to you. I'm gonna let you go out and watch it. And while you are out watching it, we are gonna sit back and listen to the trailer from 1976's Taxi Driver.
2: De Niro. Four, five. In Bang the Drum slowly, the critics called him a brilliant new talent. Under Mean Streets, they said he was a genius. For his performance in The Godfather Part Two, they gave him the Academy Award. Come on, man, just get me out of here, all right? Now, Robert De Niro. Creates a terrifying portrait of life on the edge of madness. Tabby, just forget about this. It's nothing. Taxi Driver, a film by Martin Scorsese. Yeah, people do anything in front of a taxi driver. I mean, anything. People too cheap to to rent a hotel room. Oh, driver, hurry up, will you? People want to embarrass you. It's like you're not even there.
1: It's like, you know, like a taxi driver doesn't even exist.
2: This city here is. Like an open sewer, you know, it's full of filth and scum. I think I know what you mean, Travis. But it's not gonna be easy. How do you guys get to be a Secret Service man? What? Well, I was just curious because I thought maybe I'd make a good one. Hey, what kind of guns you guys carry? 38s, 45s, 357 Magnums, something bigger maybe. Hi. I'd like to volunteer. Why? Why? Because I think that you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. The taxi driver is looking for a target. Thanks. Getting ready. Getting organized. Preparing himself for the only moment in his life that will ever mean anything. <gasps> How much for everything? Three fifty dollars for the Magnum. 250 for the 38, one and a quarter for the 25, 150 for the 380. That taxi driver's been staring at us. You talking to me? You talking to me?
0: I don't know who's weirder, you or me.
2: you talking to me? Well, who the hell so you talking? You talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here.
0: I don't believe I've ever met anyone
2: quite like you. Oh yeah? You will never see a more chilling performance than this. Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese. Taxi Driver, Jodie Foster, Albert Brooks, Harvey Keitel, Leonard Harris, Peter Boyle, Sybil Shepard, Taxi Driver.
0: And we are back. All right. I hope you all had a chance to watch this old 1976 film by Martin Scorsese, because we're going to spoil the heck out of it. Let me start off by giving you a quick synopsis of the film. This film follows a young man, Travis Bickle with no friends and no close family as he grinds through a repeating cycle of days and nights as a taxi driver in New York City. His loneliness and depression is compounded by his unnoticed and untreated mental issues, as well as his insomnia. An infatuation and possible romantic interest in a young woman named Betsy implodes when Bickle takes her to a dirty movie. The rejection begins a downward spiral as he becomes more obsessed with firearms and the politician that Betsy works for. Travis finally makes an unconventional connection with a 12-year-old prostitute becoming her friend. It is his violent actions in trying to rescue her from this lifestyle that causes his mental episode to briefly stop and the cycle to reset. So, Patrick, what was your first impression of
1: this movie? I was absolutely blown away with how good it was. I did not expect it at all. It, it, there were actually a lot more people that I recognized from other movies I've seen in it. I got about a quarter of the way through the movie and I was so like entrenched in it that I'm like, I have to start taking notes or I'm not going to remember all these thoughts that I'm having. Um, I enjoyed your, your synopsis. It was very, (laughs) it was very like on the, on the marks of everything that happened. And yes, it was. I'm a, I'm a little speechless about the movie because there's so much to it. There's so many layers and levels to it. There's so much to be said. And there are so many different ways you can view the movie. So many lenses you can see the movie through that. I actually can't wait to watch it again and again. And I don't say that about a lot of movies. A lot of times I'll see a movie and that I just, I watch it once and I'm like, I've seen that that's I'm good.
0: That that's really interesting. And I think that there are a lot of different layers that we're going to talk about. And I hope I didn't kill too many of the conversation points, but I think we can get back to a lot of them. How did it match up then with your expectations? It sounds like it kind of exceeded them a little it bit. It did. And
1: I, when, when I was going into the movie, I was expecting a good movie. Um, I'm familiar with Martin Scorsese and, and how he... Uh, you know directs and i know i knew some of the actors and actresses that were in it and i knew what to expect from their performances but also knew that they were younger so i was expecting sort of more of like a fledgling version of their acting skills and i was expecting to be entertained and i expected it to be a good movie in the sense of like oh this is a movie everyone should see because there are lots of themes in it and it connects to other movies that are also good I did not expect it to capture my attention the way it did and and draw me in and 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 keep me in like engulfed in that world for for the entirety of the movie mm-hmm. that I think that's what really impressed me about it, is that I just felt I felt like it was um, they, they were really building a world out yeah. of the characters and their emotions and their reactions.
0: I think you're very correct with that because it is a bit of a world building movie. It's it's interesting because it takes place in New York City, which is a giant city. Lots happens there. Mm. But our real view of the city is somewhat confined. It's almost as claustrophobic as a taxicab that he drives in. And, yeah. and and it and our view is is very narrow as far as what are the interactions that he has, what is the things that he sees. What is the world that he believes in and sees? And I guess my question for you is, what do you want to start talking about first? Would you like to talk about the world or would you like to talk about the characters themselves?
1: I think I'd like to talk about the characters because there are a couple of bits about the world that I think make more sense when you take in context the characters themselves and how they interact with it. So I think talking about the world is is a good place to, or the characters themselves is a good place to start. Well, who do do you want to start off with then?
0: (laughs) We've got, got a small cast of characters, but there are some good ones that are in
1: here. Really, there are, I I guess, I mean, starting off with Travis Bickle, I mean, his character from the very start, I kind of got, and this is more of like a 21st century vibe that I'm placing on him that I'm sure Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily around at the time, but I got a very like incel vibe from him, if that's okay for me to say. I I,
0: I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, in today's world, he would be, that's how he would be identified. I think back then it was more of a loner.
1: Yeah, I mean, his constant rejection. And I think that's what it's supposed to be played off in the movie. And we just have a more like a, a different cultural lens that we view that sort of behavior through. But his constant rejection, and it's, it's mostly the reactions he has to it, where he continues to pursue Betsy over and over and over again, even though she's kind of disinterested and kind of just kind of feeling it out. He doesn't pick up on all these clues. Mm -hmm. And then eventually when she flat out rejects him, he just kind of loses his mind. Yeah. I think that his character arc in that sense is, I'm not sure I remember where they say he's from, but I know he's from sort of like um, a small town farm town. Um, He wears cowboy boots. So
0: yeah, you could say, Midwest, mid-Southern, maybe even very much the central United States.
1: Yeah. And so like his character arc from being this sort of fresh, you know, middle American coming into New York City and just trying to make his way and just having uh, maybe like an optimistic view is a little bit, a bit of 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 an ingratiation to him, but he has a bit of an, like from the start of the movie to the end of the movie, his view is very optimistic in the beginning and it slowly over time kind of changes, but it changes because of how he's viewing it. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think he thinks that the world is this like place that has order and meaning and purpose. And that's, that's the center of his optimism, but it's the lens with which he views the world that it should have order and it should have purpose. And then he sees New York city. And that's why I wanted to kind of talk about the characters and then the, the city, because it's like, we don't actually see the New York city in this movie that we typically see in like Spider-Man or Mm -hmm. the Avengers. Right. It's in, when we see those, we see times square and we see Broadway and we see all the the glitz and glam of New York city. But in taxi driver, you see the guy walking down the street yelling and everybody avoiding them because they don't want to get involved.
0: You see the the worst points. You, you see the bad points. Exactly. And, and, and some of it has to do with the time that it was filmed. It was filmed exactly, in the 1970s, exactly. be, you know, before mm-hmm. New York kind of got the big cleanup. It's, you know, not to say that there aren't still places in New York that could resemble some of the places he's talking about, but there is a, mm-hmm. a trash, a filth, a, a dirt, a grime that's around the edges of the film. That really pervades his worldview. I found it interesting that you were talking about the optimism because I had a real hard time even from the beginning seeing that he had an optimism. But I think I think you're correct. I think that it is there's an idealistic optimism he has, even though mm-hmm. everything about him screams out hopelessness. Yeah. <laughs> loser doesn't care yeah there's the ongoing joke that he had or there's a the joke that he has where he says that he he wants to get a sign that says i want to get organizedized and yeah because he's got a mess at his apartment and and the entire town's a mess and everything's dirty and everything's disgusting the only thing you ever see is that he has got that sign that says he needs to get organized but every time you see his apartment it, it's a dirt hole i mean there's papers do everywhere and it's disgusting and and it's it's functional as a place that he just exists, but it's not mm-hmm. clean. It's not neat. So he's his own optimism in thinking that the world needs to be a certain way. He can't even make that in his own living space.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that, and I think that, 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 that was the moment when he was talking to Betsy and saying like the d- delivering that organized joke mm-hmm. um, that fell flat. I think that was sort of the, the turning point of his, of uh, that like idealism that he had mm-hmm. where he, really kind of verbalized that everything is trash like everything yeah. is dirty and everything is gross i think he expected to come to new york city and get this job even if it was just being a taxi driver and like isn't it scorsese that's in the back seat of his car yes. when he drives up to that house right so he's driving actually scorsese in the back seat of the cab and and he stops and he turns his meter off as no, soon no. as the car stops don't 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 turn off the meter i did put the meter back on yeah put the meter exactly back on. Put the meter he's like turn the meter back on and and he he almost flat out like is offended mm-hmm. that the guy would want him to run the meter while the car is not running yeah and i felt like that was sort of giving us a glimpse into travis's personality of like he idealism his his idea of what fairness means you know like fairness is this like orderly thing, and and it's only after he flips. It's it's almost like this this a uh, bit of a metaphor kind of hidden in that scene where he flips the meter back on because this guy is telling him to keep it on, mm-hmm. and then the guy explains to him, "Do you see this?" And then goes into some racially charged conversation about yep. where his wife is and what she's doing. And I I found that to be another turning point in the movie for Travis's character because he's like. The world is not what he imagined that it was outside of maybe his hometown. Or or maybe he thought that this was the case, but only with, de- you know, depraved people. Uh-huh. You know, this guy is just a seemingly normal guy, but like, this this is just depraved stuff going on anyway.
0: Let me ask you this. Did you think that he was heroic at all, or did
1: you find him to be a bit of a coward? I thought that he was a coward and then an opportunist.
0: Yeah. I can see that. I can definitely see it. The reason I was asking about the coward is because there was many times where he was confronted with situations where he could have acted and done something. Uh, The the scene where he's talking to Martin Scorsese's character or where (laughs) Martin Scorsese's character is talking to him. He never talks to him. He's got the opportunity there to say either, what are you going to do about it? Or, you know, hey, she's living her own life. Or he could have interacted somehow and and tried to do something. Because this guy's talking about killing these people. And he's doing nothing about it. He has the one scene where Jodie Foster's character gets in the cab. He could have driven off. He could have gone out and confronted the guy she was with. He could have done a number of things, but he didn't do anything. Every time in the movie that he has an opportunity to do something, he doesn't until the very, very end. And he just stands there. Almost scared. He just doesn't know how to interact in those situations.
1: Yeah. I think each one of those moments, those a catalyst that leads him to. So this is another thing that, that really struck me about his character is throughout the movie, his hair, he gets, he, he gets more and more haircuts. Yeah. And you can tell that he's doing them to himself. Yeah. Nobody is going and giving him a haircut. He's cutting his own hair. And as he cuts his hair, if you watch when his hair gets shorter in the movie, his personality goes deeper into that depression and that depravity. Interesting. So when he starts off, he looks, I mean, I got so many flashes when I was looking at Robert De Niro of Daniel Radcliffe. Like there were so many moments where his face like would make a, like a, like this boyish look on his face mm-hmm. with the like longer hair. That's kind of a little, little, you know, messy or whatever. But then when he takes out Betsy to that, the dirty movie, he cuts his hair. So that he can like go out on a date with her. But it's like he's delving further into his own depravity. Yeah. And then eventually he gets to a point where he actually like crops a lot of his hair off. But it's so messy and chopped up. And it's like so indicative of where he is at mentally and emotionally. And that's when he goes and confronts Jodie Foster's character. Mm -hmm. And tells her that she needs to get out of what she's doing. It's no place for her girl like her. She should be in school and blah, 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 blah and that he can help her.
0: Let's talk about Jodie Foster's character, because talk about young. Talk about really young. I mean, Jodie Foster has a 12-year-old in this, and an amazing role. She got an Academy Award nomination
1: for this with good reason. Well-deserved. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, she plays a 12-year-old prostitute, which is, I mean, there's a lot that we could unpack with that in and of itself in yeah. relationships with with older men. But apparently they, they did as much as possible in the film to protect her. And one of her biggest protectors was Robert De Niro himself. And her comments, I, I read a lot of background stuff. Apparently he was challenging her. At, at that point in time, she actually at 12 years old had made more movies than anybody else on the film. Because she had like a whole <laughs> bunch of movies as a childhood actress. But... Uh-huh. he was the one who taught her how to actually act because he would bring her to out for coffee and he'd be like, let's do the lines, let's do the lines. Okay, now we're going to improv and we're going to create these characters. And she started off being bored and then she was like, okay, now I'm interested in this and now I'm really developing
1: who this character is and what they're doing. Her performance, yeah, was just so stunningly believable. Yeah. I was literally blown away with how well she was acting and how young she was. Yeah. The scene where he is... Like he goes and hires her through sport and they go up to the room and he, you know, denies yep. her advances yeah. and tries We're to not talk to this. her. We're
0: not doing this. We're not doing this. We're going to talk. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: And regardless of what she does, she's always, he's always, you know, rebuffing her and going back to like, I want to, I want to get you out of this situation. But then he asks her to go on a date with him, like not a date, but like yep. go meet him for coffee or whatever in the morning. And they go and sit at that table. And that scene was so incredible her reactions, her, the looks on her face. I mean, they look so natural. Like they were just, they were actually having a conversation. It was actually these two people.
0: It's a time where she's actually human human. He's, is, you know, it's just two people right. talking. And once again, like I said, in my, in my synopsis, it's really sad. And yet it's also telling as well, that this is the only person he has a connection with. Yeah. Uh, he, he thinks he can be a hero. He thinks he can actually, you know, do some good. He's got this strange vision of what 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 it what he should be doing. And, and here's somebody he can talk to. He has no interest in her, in a relationship, but he can talk to this person. And it may be because she is not a peer at all. It may be because she is young woman. I mean, there's some misogyny that you could call in there as well. Maybe it's because yeah. she's actually, even though she's very mature for her age, she's also, she's still a child. And maybe because of his own insecurities and his own development, that he is, They are talking at the same mental level.
1: Yeah, I I actually see Jodie Foster's character as his representation of the world. Okay. I think he sees the world as this naive place that needs to just do what it's supposed to do. So like, he's telling her she needs to be in school. This is Mm -hmm. no way for her to act. I think this is how he feels about the world around him. Yeah. And I think he also sees the world the same way that sh- like she truly is where she is a 12-year-old prostitute. Yeah. And I think he sees the world in that way where it's this clean place that has been made dirty through it's in- through its 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 bad actions, yeah. right? It's bad choices and bad decisions. And it's his job to come in and save the world. Like he's coming in to save her like this. I like that. That's why that table scene where they're just talking to each other. I'm like, she seems so real and he seems so real. And it was such a real moment that Mm -hmm. I couldn't help, but see this metaphor underneath it of like, this is him really trying to connect with the world. Mm -hmm. And, and she is his connection. She is his purpose in regaining himself and, and, his his own mind what he needs to do to regain himself from the rejection of betsy and rejection of like he's being rejected in his manliness by the other you know republicans in this campaign office you know trying to throw him out the cops who are like not who are on on the 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 side of like the uh, the uh, you know the the establishment or the man or yeah. whatever? Yeah, the, their establishment, and he never thought of cops that way. He thought of cops as protectors, but they're actually just working for the establishment. And, you know. Um, anyway,
0: let's juxtapose that scene against the scene that he has with Pierre Boyle because we have we have this interesting cadre of taxi he, yeah. he doesn't have he doesn't have any friends. He has no friends. Jody Foster is really right kind of his second friend that he has in the film. Uh the first one was mm-hmm. Betsy for how as little as that lasted. But he doesn't really have any friends. He just sees these other taxi drivers and he he's yeah. feeling that he needs to talk to somebody about things and the only one he can talk to is kind of the captain of these these cab drivers, the, the older man, the wizard he's called and that's
1: Peter Boyle's yeah, yeah. character.
0: Which let me tell you, the last movie I saw with Peter Boyle was Young Frankenstein. So I'm just kind of like Hang on a second. <laughs> Hang on.
1: Um, Every time I see Peter Boyle, all I think in my mind, the only thing my mind says is
0: "Put it on the red." I don't know,
1: you know I like, like that's you, all I ever hear.
0: You want me to take this guy seriously? That's not going to happen. No, but so, I know. He, I mean, he's kind of a jokester, anyways, in this film. He, yeah, he's just a guy who's talking. He's he's a guy.
1: Yeah, he fills the role well. He does a yeah. very good job of playing what he's supposed. He's supposed to be this like this stand-in for like a working class guy.
0: Yeah. And, and 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 that's what he is. In Bickle's mind he sees him as like the elder statesman. So he needs to talk to somebody and he's got some things on his mind. And he is going and approaching the wrong person because the wizard is just a guy. He's mm-hmm. he's not really equipped to deal with somebody like Travis Bickle. And so tra- you know Travis is trying to talk to him, he's trying to say something, he's trying to ex- express his feelings and the wizard's got no clue. Peter Boyle's just like well, you know, you, you just have to work hard. You just have to work hard. You're young. You work hard. Yeah. Put your head down. You're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Just just do, mm-hmm. Just do. be a man, and you're going to be fine.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and, and he's just stumbling through this entire speech of trying to explain, hey, I'm having some violent thoughts. I think the world <laughs> sucks, and I want to kill people. But he's not saying that. We just know that that's what's going through his mind.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that whole interaction with him and Peter Boyle, and this might, or uh, yeah, it might be um, a little surprising. I don't know if it is or not. Gave me very Fight Club vibes. Okay. I can see that. Because like the whole purpose of Fight Club is kind of to... Not talk about Fight Club. Right. Well, <laughs> is <Sorry>. to, um <laughs> That's <Go on>. okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're right. So should I not talk about it? <laughs> should I say... Okay. Um, should I just shut up right now? So the whole like point of the movie Fight Club is... That it's like this uh, this arc of like what it means to be a man in our society and what mm-hmm. society tells us, and what we're actually trying to do, and that we're actually all kind of just little boys because nobody actually let us grow up, and we don't let each other grow up, and we don't show each other any kind of like tenderness or affection because that's unmanly and the only way that we can uh, touch each other is through physical altercations and so that's how you know it's like there's so many levels and layers to that but like that it gave me that vibe because like peter boyle plays the um the wizard is that to travis he is that like look man just be a be a man yeah suck it up and just put one foot in front of the other. It's that same mentality that turns us into boys, like lifelong boys, it, it, mentally and emotionally. And, and a person like Travis, who just can't fathom being that way for the rest of his life. You know, it's just like, you're right. It's like the absolute wrong thing to say to the absolute wrong person.
0: <laughs> We've talked about Betsy a little bit, we should probably talk about that character a little bit. What did you think about Sybil Shepard in that role?
1: I loved her in this role. I'm not a huge Sybil Shepherd fan, but she did such a great job at playing that, like like there's a there's a theme in in movies about looking at manliness. You know, yeah. like there's there's always like the innocent virgin or like the the innocent damsel that needs to be saved. And then the guy has like some kind of arc where he learns something, but there's also like the woman who's like the castrator right? She's like sure. the, the emasculator. And that's how I saw her. She was very much like the emasculator for him. And I don't think she was doing it like as a malicious thing or on no. purpose, but I think that was kind of her role in the movie. Like that's how her character was written was not to necessarily be mean to him because she's a mean person or a mean character. Mm-hmm. But I think it was to like her character was just a very uptight and controlling person to begin with. And and it conflicted with his own character personality in a way that made him feel like he was less.
0: I can kind of see that. I think there was a couple of moments where she, you see her trying to have fun because she was telling Albert Brooks's character that joke. Uh, she was talking to Tom about this this joke that she had. and or, or, you know, can you light a match only using two fingers? And and she's yeah. trying to, you know, she, she's got a little kookiness about her. She she also seems to be a little bit of the bright spot in the office. And, and her and Tom play off each other. I... I see her a lot as being that unattainable idol. There's there's that school of thought okay. that if you rank people on their looks and personalities and everything like that, you aren't going to get a 10 going out with a 2. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and and if if we look at this movie, Simple <laughs> Shepard comes in as as a as a 9 or a 10. I mean, she's she's high up there. And you have travel, okay. Travis Bickle come in there as much much less than that. He he's okay. a disorganized like cab a driver. A five. passable five, but if you really peel back the layers, you're like, "Mm, you're pushing it too, buddy. You know, there's not much there Mm -hmm. with him. And she gets enamored with him just because he's a little cookie. She's got the one line. I don't know if I've ever met anybody like you before because he's he's playing a part. Travis Bickle is is playing a part he does not know how to interact with people at all he is just playing right. the part of i'm going to play the part of being charming and once he's actually confronted with actually interacting with the person and seeing how his vision of reality doesn't fit another person's vision of reality it comes screech into a halt and everything falls apart mm-hmm. because that's not right. I took you to a movie. You like movies, right? So what if it's a dirty movie? It's the movies I like. Right. <laughs> I don't understand this, that that's not socially acceptable. <laughs> does not compute. Does not compute. Yeah. That's where the facade comes off. And she realizes, oh, this guy is not in my class. Not at all. And it's not even it, – It. I can't even, you know – audited in for a special pass into my class level either. He's just not there. And you get a little bit of that class structure
1: too. No, for sure. I I guess I also, and I don't want to sort of rush the end, but I I also look at her character in the sense of the very last scene as well. Let's
0: talk about that last scene. Okay, okay. What is your interpretation of that last scene? First of all, I should ask, did you do any other research outside of watching the movie?
1: I did one Google search, and it brought up one of the first few, like, results was that it was all in his head. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I cannot possibly read one more review from somebody <laughs> who says that a movie is all about somebody in their own head. I'm like, if, I, if it's not explicitly telling me that it's, like, if it's not Fight Club, mm-hmm. then it's not in somebody's head. It really happened.
0: So you think that this really happened then?
1: Oh, I think that, I think every bit of it really I think it's a it's a movie about a about real actions from real from from Travis. Like I think he actually did all those things.
0: And for those of you that haven't seen it, and if I was a little obtuse in my description there, after this massacre that occurs at the hotel where he tries to save Iris, uh, he is massively injured, and he has to. He, it it actually when you first watch it, like oh he's dead, but then yeah. the scene cuts and you see these series of articles on a wall saying that he is a hero because he went and saved this girl he killed all these mobsters it really comes across his vigilante action and his murder spree that he went on is seen as a heroic gesture and there's a voice recording from iris's parents saying that thank you so much for saving our daughter she's back in school she's back with us we'd like to come out to see you again if we ever get enough money it's it's like, oh my gosh! You know, he's the hero of the city. He's the talk of the city, and he's st- and he's back driving taxi cabs. He looks good. He's got the long hair again, and yeah. he picks up. He gets a fare into his cab. He goes and drives her, and it's it's Betsy, and she is saying, you know, wow, I heard what you did. That was really good, and she has this respect and awe for him, and and it, it leaves you to wonder, you know, can something happen again? You know, and she kind of offers you know him up to the apartment. No thanks. Uh, you know, I don't need to gives her the cab ride for free, and he drives off. But in a lot of reviews, it was really came out that a lot of people saw this as, this is his dying fantasy. We're at the end where he he actually dies at the end, and he this is his fantasy oh, dream of his life is complete because he's done this. Martin Scorsese came back, and, and the writer of the film came back and said, no, it's real. Yeah. This is just resetting. And the, the cinematographer said he designed that last scene so you could cut it Edit it and put it right back at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Travis Bickle is not cured. It looks like he's perfectly fine. No. He looks like he's a perfectly human, normal human being. He's not. He just he's been reset back to zero, and he's going to go down the same path again. Nothing has changed.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what I gathered from that. Because la- so you know he he goes on the murder spree. He takes out all of his aggression on all of these people who represent filth and villainy to him. He doesn't come out unscathed. This is this is the part that, that took me to be that the end of the movie is not a dream. It's not his dying anything. Mm-hmm. He's driving away and you see sort of like the camera panning over his face, and then the camera sort of panning through the front windshield of his taxicab. And then it pans over the rearview mirror where he takes a very and I actually went back and rewatched this part of the movie five times because I really wanted to analyze every last little frame of what exactly happened there. He looks up, he's he's looking forward and then he looks up, he looks forward again and looks up again. He, so he does like a double take mm-hmm. on his own face and then he grabs the rearview mirror and he yanks it away so he doesn't have to see himself anymore. Yeah. And to me that was like I was chilling. It was so chilling because it was like, if they had left it with just Betsy, like he him telling Betsy, like, no, I'm good, mm-hmm. you know, and driving away, it could have been like, hey, he's, he's, he's better. He's a better person. He's better mm-hmm. off than he was. He learned from all of this rage and anger and maybe he's gotten over it, but then he sees like the wild look in his eyes and he can't face himself. And you're just like, no, no, he is going to like shave a mohawk on his head and in, into his head again. And he's going to go and murder some more people.
0: It, it's not gonna. It's not gonna be today. It's not gonna be tomorrow. Right. Yeah. It's 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 got to build up again. It's got to get to the yeah. point of insanity again. He's got to find another yeah. he, he's got to go down those those paths again. Right. It's interesting my my wife was watching most of the movie with me and then she got really tired. She's like, "I got to go to bed." So she went to bed right before the, the murder spree and yeah. the ending. And so the next day she was asking me about it and I was telling her the ending and she just she was just looking at me like, "Well, that is horrific." And I said, "Well, yeah." And then, you know, it, it, but the the movie has themes and I think we should talk mm-hmm. about that for a bit. What are the themes that you saw in this?
1: Yeah. So the themes I saw in this was just a general sense of like working class people becoming disillusioned with society and culture. Mm-hmm. I also saw, so one of the things that I thought was very interesting when Travis was sitting in his cab, listening to Senator Palantine mm-hmm. um, giving a speech and he was watching him give the speech. But when it cuts over and it shows you his view of Senator Palantine giving the speech, you actually can't see his head. His Mm -hmm. head is being obscured by something that he's looking through the window. And that was like a big thematic hit for me because it was like, it was him realizing that all these people who are talking about all these high ideals and these principles are just like, they don't really believe what they're saying. It's just this headless person. It's this faceless b s, basically. and that was I feel like that was his sort of like uh, moment where he flipped. But I think that's a theme throughout the whole thing is that you see this arc of like people lying and lying and lying more and more and more and more, yeah, in the background. the sense of things falling into chaos and falling apart, naivete being, you know, so sort of the wool being pulled from back from your eyes and uh, seeing things <laughs> for what they really are. I looked at it a lot,
0: too as i I, I can definitely see that. I was always looking at travis as a real character study in isolation and depression and Mm -hmm. how those things can go hand in hand and this is the part that my wife and i had a little conversation on because she's like not everybody who's depressed or isolated becomes a murderer and i'm like no 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 that's not the point this is the this is the deep end of that pool this is the end of that pool that where the people who are who go take that dark path who take that dark tunnel Mm -hmm. anybody can go down that but it's more of the idea that this is what it looks like, and this is what it feels like, and this is where the hopelessness comes from. Yeah. And, and what, what you do to fill that hopelessness. I mean, he takes pills, he takes the night job, he works a lot of hours, and things just... Let me ask you mm-hmm. this, because we're we're running a little long, and, and, and we're, we can talk about this movie forever, but let's try to wrap this oh, up yeah, a little totally. bit. Is yeah, totally. Is there any scenes that you didn't like, or is there anything that, that didn't really catch with you, or you had a real problem with, or doesn't hold up?
1: There were a couple of moments where he was driving in his cab, that seemed a little drawn out to me. And I understand what they were trying to do with the movie. But I mean, if I really had to nitpick anything, that would have probably been it. Mm-hmm. There was really nothing that that sort of hit me negatively on this movie. Every It seemed like every interaction was purposeful. Um, there were no guns that were left un- unfired, <laughs> if you will. <laughs>
0: Very you much know. the Chekhov's guns. Every single yeah. gun that was bought by Travis Bickle was used by Travis Bickle. <laughs> yeah, it was
1: literally used on the on the on the proprietor of that hotel alone. I think <laughs>
0: <laughs> blew off his hand. His fingers, just all the fingers gone. I mean,
1: that was. <laughs> I thought for sure they were just going to go like the whole, you know, just the shot to the chest route. But when it, when his whole half of his hand oh. blew off, I was just like, now I'm paying attention. Whew. ooh.
0: That's a vicious scene. Yeah. Speaking of good scenes, though, is there any scenes that really stood out for you? Is there any big scenes that you that you really loved, or something that just is going to stay with you forever?
1: Yeah, man, I, and and not for the gore, but for the philosophy of it. But that last sort of scene in the hotel, where he is moving through, he is he is not a skilled killer. He no. is not by any stretch of the imagination like John Wick right? He no. is like, he shoots a guy in the guts and then he walks away thinking he died and like people don't die from being shot in the guts, you know, like it hurts, but nobody's dying from that and like he doesn't even think to like you know what I mean? So the, yeah. Harvey Keitel's character, Sport, he comes back and shoots him. What I what I realized is that in that, in that scene and why it hit me so hard is that he is, he is only there because of his revulsion of sex work. Yeah. So to him, sex work and the, and the depravity of sex is like irredeemable thing. However, this gory violence, this absolute murderous fury is perfectly acceptable to him.
0: And the other thing that's perfectly acceptable to him is dirty films because that's what he watches. It's okay being Absolutely. up there, but it's not okay with what's, right. what's
1: going on here. Yeah. It's fine when it's on, when it's like, when it's fake and or it's on a screen, it's yeah. fake. Right. But yeah, it's not okay in the world. No, that's, and that's great. I didn't even make that connection. That is fantastic. I didn't even <laughs> think to like, think of that aspect of it, but it's so true. He, yeah. oh man. But I, that that's why that scene stuck with me.
0: The scene that I think I loved and I loved the, just the cinematography of it is he's failed on that date. Uh, She doesn't want to talk to him. He's tried calling her numerous times, but there's a scene where he's in this hallway. He's using a payphone. He's talking to Betsy, and he's trying to say, you know, why won't you go out with me? You know, can we we talk? And he's pleading. He's begging. And the camera slowly moves off him, moves down this hallway, and then focuses on this empty hallway with an open door looking out on the street. And you still hear him talking off to the side. And I, I looked at it i like the scene a lot and i saw one of the comments about it but the director he said he loved that scene because it's so pathetic and bickle is so pathetic at that moment you don't want to look at him you want to look yeah. anywhere else but at him because he is it's just so sad and it's yeah. like oh that's it's it's just gut-wrenching at that point because yeah, you're like that's a gut yeah. punch he's like you, you you're not on his side either you're like yeah you you did yeah. bad. You you made up, you messed up real bad. And we don't feel pity for you at all. And we just, we're on her side and stop calling her. Mm-hmm. And we don't even want to look at you, man. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, any last minute thoughts before we get to the ratings of this film? I don't think so. I think
1: we hit all the major like points um, that I had written down. Like, I mean, just notes. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I think we hit all the main points. Um, This was, yeah.
0: Well, then let me ask you. How many full bags of popcorn? I got an idea about what you're going to give it. But how many full bags of popcorn would you give it on a scale of one to five?
1: Uh, definitely five full bags of popcorn, <laughs> overflowing. Um, you know, I've, I've, I'll have i rate a movie four bags out of five bags and 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 only watch it once. But mm-hmm. the fact that I will watch a movie over again is the definitive factor for five out of five, for sure. Uh, yeah. I may actually watch that again uh, over the next couple of days because uh, it's just... <laughs> there's so much to unpack with the movie and, you know, I've only seen it twice. So,
0: yeah, I, I think, I think I would give it a five as well. I mean, there is, and we should say this, we haven't talked about it at all, but there is a cultural element to this film. This film has gone down in history as being a touch point because there was a man whose name was John Hinckley Jr. who back in 1981, as a result of this film and his own uh, mental uh, issues that he had, he, Thought that he would he became infatuated with Jodie Foster and he thought that the way that he could impress her was to assassinate a president. And so in 1981 he tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan. And it was it was a very big deal. And you know, came out that this was his kind of this was his blueprint for that. It has kind of caused some controversy with this film over time, and it is a culture point for it. It's something that, you know, should be discussed and talked about, but it is very interesting that That the movie would call out to people in such a negative way, and yet this movie is a very beautiful film in its own sense.
1: I think anytime you focus a very attentive lens on describing the experience through film of loneliness and isolation or depression or any of those more negative emotions that we can feel that mm-hmm. are not necessarily bad. They're just yeah. emotions that we feel you run the, not the risk, but you just run down that line of, of inviting people who feel that way to identify with it. And that's yeah. the point of the film is to identify with people, with people's, you know, lower bluer sadder emotions and people who are stuck in that place are of course going to identify the most with those movies and with those characters it's it's kind of unavoidable but but i think it's just a natural um it's just a natural aspect of it and uh i'm i'm unsurprised that somebody would be so i would identify so much with travis's his character is so real yeah and it's unfortunate that we have those kind of touchstones in in our society but uh, i don't think that it's I don't think it should stain such a, such like, no. I don't think it have ever stain art. Um, no, I'm no, not one it, of those people that believes that art should be tied to the artist or to any interpretation of it.
0: No, I and I agree too. I just wanted to bring it up because I, I feel yeah. that it would be a disservice not to at least touch on it a little bit with yeah, this. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not going to read anything into it as all. It's just this is definitely was was something that very that, that happened and, and became a very important moment in American history. Mm-hmm. That all being said, thank you so much for being on. Where can the wonderful people in the world find you if they would like to talk with you or hear your voice anywhere else on the internet?
1: Well, thank you for having me. This was a blast. They can find me on Twitter at Dr. Poddevlo. The doctor is just Dr. I do a podcast with a very good friend and colleague of mine named Matt Lantz. He can be found at Matty Lantz with a with a Y, Matty Lantz. Um, we do a podcast called um, Almost Famous. The F in famous is PHP. Um, it's all about remote developer lifestyle. It's not necessarily code related. It's more work from home related and project planning and all kinds of stuff like that. So if that any of that interests you, Scrum, Agile, isolation, we talked about a whole podcast episode about just isolation and how to mitigate you know feelings of loneliness and despair. So if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, check us out, we can be found everywhere where podcasts are sold or given away. (laughs) (laughs) And if you would like to find me, you can find me over on
0: Twitter at M Muckabout or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my own Secret Service Protection, Agent Jeff. If you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at jeffandrickpresent, all one word, at gmail.com. And a big thank you to the Longbox Crusade for letting me use this beautiful attic of their headquarters to broadcast their show from, and also to their sponsor, Omaha Bound. Now, Omaha Bound is not taking any new orders at this time, so please do not send your issues of guns and ammo to them. They can't bind them at this point in time, but if you wait and if you check their websites they will let you know when they are caught up and ready to take your orders again but omaha bound thank you very much for your sponsorship and also to the long box crusade members who help support this network if you would like to support the network head on over to patreon and search for the long box crusade now grab the popcorn and pull up a seat because in about a week we'll be back with another episode the music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at JoeCeflin99. That's joseflin 99